Well, we return this morning to our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, as you may remember, Matthew presented Jesus as the Messiah, Jesus as uh, the Christ, Jesus as the King of God's kingdom. And, and we've seen in chapters 1 to 10 that uh, really there was a presentation of Jesus as King. As we looked at his genealogy, really you can see his ordination uh, through his baptism, but also his authority in pronouncing new covenant law, and, and in healing, deliverances, miracles, and of course, choosing his disciples. And then chapters 11 to 13, we can summarize it as the protestation or the protest or the rejection or the opposition that was rising up against Jesus as the king. And today we are in chapter 14, uh, chapter 14 through to 20, I have sort of entitled the preparation for the king and because in these chapters, we see Jesus often withdrawing himself from the crowd. We see that at the, about verse 15 of, of, uh, of, of uh, uh, chapter 12 uh, of, of Matthew, and then also verse 13 of chapter 14, 15, 21, 29, and so it goes. But that was because there was some increased hostility towards Jesus, uh, also it was time of, of, oh, there was a need for physical rest. But I think most importantly was for him to prepare his disciples uh, and prepare them for uh, his crucifixion and for their future. And so as I said, we are in Matthew chapter 14. So if you are there, please, or not there, please turn to Matthew chapter 14. Uh, and really this section records for us the beheading of John the Baptist. And I've entitled uh, this message, who do you fear? For in this passage we find two men, Herod the Tetrarch and John the Baptist. Um, and both of these men were controlled by fear. Um, now fear is a very strong emotion. Uh, it will move you to act or to keep you from acting depending on the perceived risk or threat a situation or person poses to your person, your possessions, or your prospects. And so the Bible actually uses fear in, in a different ways from being afraid or being scared all the way through to be uh, respectful. You, to fear the Lord is to respect the Lord or even on the other side of the spectrum to, to revere Him, to stand in awe of Him or to worship Him uh, or uh, really encompassed in the word fear, depending on the context of the, of the passage. And uh, today we'll look at the fear of Herod and the fear of John, and then make some application to us today. But let's read our passage this morning. Matthew chapter 14, verse 1 reads, At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the news about Jesus and said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead. And that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. <clears throat> For when Herod had John arrested, he bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip. For John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Although Herod wanted to put him to death, he feared the crowd because they regarded John as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Having been prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. Although he was grieved, the king's 
king commanded it to be given because of his oaths and because of his dinner guests. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison, and the head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took away the body and buried it, and they went and reported to Jesus. Let us pray. Father, we ask, Father, that you would speak to us today through your word. Lord, I pray that you have prepared the, our hearts, that you have tilled the soil of our hearts so that it is fresh and ready for to receive your life-giving word. Lord, I pray that you would bless us, you would encourage us, you would challenge us through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. And so first of all, let's look at the fear of Herod. Verses 1 and 2 says, at that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the news about Jesus. Now, who is Herod the Tetrarch? Uh, we need to find out who he is because uh, the family, the Herod the, or Herodian family is very prominent in the Gospels and in, in the book of Acts. And so it's, they're easily confused. And so, first of all, we have Herod the Great. He was the founder of the, this Herodian dynasty who ruled basically from 37 B.C. through 4 B.C. He was an Edomite, uh, not a Jew by descent, but he converted to Judaism. And, uh, but he, he followed the law as it pleased him uh, when it was politically expedient, like, for instance, rebuilding the temple, got himself a few brownie points with the, with the Jewish people. But he was a monster of a man. He killed his wife and her mother. He murdered his brother. He executed two of his sons out of, well, he accused them of treason. Um, and of course, he was the one who ordered the murder of all the babies two years and younger in the area of Bethlehem at Jesus' birth when he heard that the king was born in Bethlehem. But he died in 4 BC, and then his kingdom was divided into four regions and distributed among his family. So each have a, have a, had a portion they ruled over, and tetrarch basically means a fourth. So Herod was the ruler over a fourth, a, a quarter of that kingdom. Actually, the kingdom that he, the, the areas were Perea and Galilee. Uh, now, he was a grossly immoral man and very ambitious, and he seduced his brother Philip, uh, Philip's wife, Herodias, uh, I think, may even have been the other way around because she is even more ambitious and, and conniving and manipulative than Herod was. Uh, and Herod, of course, here in our text is the one who also called Herod Antipas, uh, ordered the beheading of John the Baptist. Then there is Herod Philip, his brother or his half-brother. He reigned from 4 BC to 34 AD. He was the, the first husband of Herodias uh, or the according to the Bible, the only husband of Herodias. Uh, uh, and uh, he ruled over the areas Batania, Trachonotus, and Orantes. And by all accounts, he was a good king. Then we have Herod Archelaus, who ruled from 4 BC to 6 AD. And he was, you may remember, when, when, when Jesus and, and his family came back out of Egypt, they realized that he was ruler over Judea. He also ruled over Edomia, which is Edom and Samaria, but he was replaced by direct Roman rule 
And so we find a number of years later, at 26 BC, that's who Pontius Pilate was, the governor of Judea. Uh, Herod the Great executed his son, Aristobulus, who fathered Herod Agrippa I. No doubt a man with a firm handshake with a name like that. Um, But he was the one who executed uh, the Apostle James uh, in 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 Acts chapter 12. And he had a son who was Herod Agrippa II, and he was the one who heard Paul's case before Felix uh, in Acts 25 and 26. Now let's back to Herod Antipas or Herod the Tetrarch. And he seems to me to have feared everyone but God. He feared his guilty conscience. He feared John the Baptist. He feared man. He feared both the people and the elites. He feared what people might think of him, what people might do to him. So let's just look at each of those. He says he feared from his guilty conscience. You know, he heard of the wonderful ministry of Jesus, of all the miracles that he was performing, and he concluded that is John the Baptist. Uh, He came back to life, and he was afraid because he thought John would have revenge on his mind. In Mark chapter 6, we actually read that there were others who were saying it was Elijah, that Jesus was Elijah or another prophet, but, but... Herod kept telling his people, no, 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 this is John the Baptist. This is the man I beheaded. And so his guilty conscience led him to only one conclusion, that the man I killed is back, and he's looking for revenge. And although he knew that John never performed any miracles in his life, somehow because he was now in his mind supernaturally raised, he is now able also to perform these supernatural deeds. A uh, little bit of warped theology there on, on, on um, Herod's uh, side. But his conscience led him to that conclusion. His guilty conscience, that is. And the conscience is a wonderful gift of God to every man, woman, and child. Uh, it is a powerful voice, either accusing us or excusing us. And it is a voice that was condemning Herod because of John's message that he ignored and because of John's murder, which he had a hand in. And so John's message and John's murder raised to life the conscience of Herod at the hearing of Jesus' ministry. And the call of the conscience is persistent. And to those who listen to it, it really is the voice of God calling them to repentance. But for those who resist it, who suppress it, who seek to silence it, who seek to drown it, to bury it, it never stays buried for long. For any and every occasion, any random event seems to resurrect it, accusing, condemning the wicked for their evil deeds. The conscience is persistent. And Herod's conscience reminded him of his guilt regarding John's message to him and John's murder. 
We read in John's message, we read in Matthew 14, verse 3 to 4, For when Herod had arrested John, he bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip. For John had been saying, it is not lawful for you to have her. John had called out his ruler, Herod, to repentance over his unlawful marriage, marriage to Herodias. And not just on one occasion, but on every occasion. We read in verse 4, he had been saying. And the Greek carries there uh, an idea of ongoing repetition. He said it and kept on saying it. Herod, you are not allowed to be married to this woman. So John was very, very bold, and he was relentless, faithful to his calling and his ministry. And John not only called out Herod's immorality or adultery, he also called him out over all his other wicked deeds that he did. And there were many, we read in Luke 3, 19. And so John's message was a message of repentance, a call to righteousness. Because Herod's marriage to Herodias uh, was unlawful. I mean, the law says that while a brother is alive, it is unlawful to marry his wife. That is Leviticus 18.16 and 20.21. And so Herodias, actually in Scripture, is never referred to as Herod's wife, but always as Philip's wife or your brother's wife. And it is said that Herod had a, an affair with Herodias while visiting his brother, and his brother was away to Rome or, or in Rome. And so Herod divorced his wife, Phasaelus, who was the daughter of Aretas. He was the king of the Nabataean Arabs. I know this means nothing to you, but this, they, this may, may help you. Uh, their capital was in Petra, the, the, the city that we know today that was carved out of the, out of the mountains. And King Aretas was so incensed by the treatment of Herod of his daughter that he attacked Herod and all but destroyed his army. And were it not for the intervention of the Rome or intervention of Rome, he would have killed Herod as well. Herodias, on the other side, divorced Philip, her husband. Now, at that time, the Jews, uh, the Jewish men, were allowed to divorce their wives pretty much for all and everything. If you remember. Uh, Matthew 19, when they asked Jesus, can a man marry or divorce his wife? Uh, but anyway, uh, it was very unusual for a, for a wife to divorce her husband. But that is what Herodias did. And that was a Roman custom. And the Jewish people despised that custom. They abhorred that. And so the words of John laid hold of Herod. And Herod, in turn, laid hold of John and cast him in prison. He cast him in the, in the dungeons of the fortress of Machaerus, which is a, a magnificent palace that he built right on the edge of the Jordan Valley. It's about three and a half thousand feet above that and looking out over that, and it's spectacular. But the dungeons were deep and dark and dank and, and really a horrible place. And archaeologists have find, or found uh, shackles in the walls where, where prisoners would have been kept. And John was kept there for about a year. Uh, but it was Herod's fear that kept John alive in prison. Because we read that he feared John the Baptist. Uh, well, 
if you turn over to Mark chapter 6, we, we read that, that Herodias had a grudge against him, of course, calling them out, and wanted to put him to death and could not do so. So she wanted him dead, and Herod wanted him dead. We read in, in our text, verse 4-5, uh, yet he kept him safe, for he was afraid of John. Herod, uh, Mark 6.20 says, Herod was afraid of John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. And when he, he heard him, he was very perplexed, but he used to enjoy listening to him. And so Herod's fear of John actually kept John uh, safe. He was both fearful and fascinated by John. He knew John to be a righteous and holy man. He was a true man of God, a man who lived what he believed, a man who feared God more than he feared Herod, and that intrigued him. I mean, I once, once uh, read a story of, of, an, of a well-known atheist that went, I can't remember whether he went to listen to Spurgeon or Moody, I can't remember the details, but he went to listen to this well-known speaker, and, and someone knew him to be an outspoken atheist, asked him, what are, you doing? what are you doing here? Why are you listening? You don't believe this, do you? He said, no, no, but he does. And so he wants to know, why, what does this man know that I don't know? Why is he sold out to the truth when he himself was not. And this, I think, may have been the case even with, with Herod. He was intrigued by John the Baptist, that this man was seemingly impervious to who he was and was not afraid of him and would call him out and would speak. And we, you can be assured that in that year that, that John the Baptist was in prison, that he would have constantly and consistently gave him his message, which was to repent and believe in the Messiah. And so, strangely, he enjoyed listening to the man he wanted to kill. Uh, and I, I see God's amazing grace in that, to Herod. This, this is quite a bizarre turnout of events. But God kept Herod from executing John for about a year, during which I'm he may have heard the message of repentance repeatedly, and yet he did not respond. He hardened his heart and ultimately added to his adultery murder. And so John's message is really what led to his murder. And uh, it was the fear of man, Herod's fear of man, that Herodias exploited to accomplish her murderous plan. She had a grudge against John. And so Herod really feared man. He had a great fear of man. He was a slave to his fear of man, of what people may think of him, what people may do to him, how they will respond to him. He wanted people to respect him, to like him. He wanted to be a great ruler. He was ambitious, and, and, and really his ambition made him a slave to the opinions, perspectives, and admiration of men. And so we read here in our text that he was afraid of the people. Herod feared the people. Herod feared the crowds, the populace. And at first, his fear of John and his fear of the people kept John safe. 
But both Herod and Herodias wanted John dead, out of the way. They wanted him silenced. And Herod wanted to kill John. And he just wanted, needed to figure out how he's going to do it without it having negative consequences on him. He, he did not want to have a riot on his hand because that would reflect badly on him as a ruler uh, or the great ruler in his own eyes. So he feared the people. He also feared the elite. Herod very much cared what the leaders and prominent people of his day thought of him. And Herodias knew this, and she used it to execute her evil plans. She was very crafty. She was conniving, ambitious, controlling, manipulative. And that is, why I think, why she ma married Herod, because she thought that he would be more likely to climb to the upper echelons of power and position than her husband Philip would. And so she concocted a trap to get Herod to kill John who threatened her ambitions for her husband. And she used Herod's fear of man to trap him. And the opportunity came on Herod's birthday, verse 6. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before men and pleased Herod, so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Having been prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. And although he was grieved, the king commanded it to be given because of his oaths and because of his dinner guests. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. Mark chapter 6 verse 21 tells us a, sorry, a strategic day came when Herod on his birthday, gave a banquet for his lords and military commanders and leading men of Galilee. A strategic day really means a suitable opportunity, one that will play right into the plans of Herodias. She planned the party. She invited the guests, the elite of society. The lords, well, they were the, those were the important people, those of high rank, military commanders, also high-ranking officers. It's literally, uh, the word means to be over a thousand men. So these were high-ranking officers and leading men. That is the prominent men of Galilee, the elite in business and governance. They were all invited. And she insisted on a banquet. It has to be a feast with plenty of drink and food for them to enjoy. And she incited her daughter to dance. Now, people, that is unheard of for that day. It was, it was shocking. And I'm sure it was the talk of the town for months afterwards. Because dancing before men in those days were done by women of dubious reputation. And it was always very sensual, very provocative, uh, uh, equivalent to a, to a modern-day striptease designed to entice the lust of men. And so for a young princess, for a girl of her status, to engage in such behavior was, was really shocking. It was unheard of. But that's what Herodias incited her daughter to do. 
And Herodias instructed her daughter, when you are offered a reward, ask for the head of my enemy. Ask for the head of John the Baptist on a plate. Herodias knew her husband. He knew his lustful and foolish ways. He knew his fear of man, and he used that, or she knew his fear of man, and she used it to set a trap. And as planned, Herod was pleased with his stepdaughter's dance and made this foolish promise. We read that he said that even half of my kingdom I will give to you. Of course. And, he, and then he bound himself with an oath. And uh, that, of course, was absolute bravado, uh, braggadocia, because he did not have a kingdom. Uh, he was but a ruler over a quarter of the region. Um, he was but a, va a vassal to Rome, a servant to Rome. But he made this oath in front of all his distinguished guests. And Herodias, uh, daughter, instructed by mom, asked, give me at once the head of John the Baptist. You see, Herodias was shrewd. She did not want to give Herod time to recover from his lustful alcohol-induced condition. She didn't want Herod to change his mind. And so she had, again, uh, Mark tells us, immediately give me the head of John the Baptist. And we re read here that, that uh, Herod was grieved. But I can assure you that was not godly sorrow. That was worldly sorrow. He did not care for John. He actually wanted John dead. But he feared the reaction of the people. He feared the consequences that may come upon him. He feared the opinions and perceptions of his peers. He, want, he desperately wanted to, to be seen as a man of distinguished man, a man of no, nobility, uh, of being a good king, a great ruler. And so how can he now turn around and go against his own promise, his own oath. And I'm sure he, he broke his word many times before, but this time, because of his guests, he relented and ordered the execution of John the Baptist. And his head was brought, this gruesome prize, on a platter to the girl, and the girl took it to her mother. Herod feared his guilty conscience. Herod feared the prophet. Herod feared man. But nowhere do we read that he feared God. In fact, we read that he wanted to kill Jesus. This is the one, this is the man who he saw and thought it was the resurrected John. We, we read in, in Luke 13 that the Pharisees approached Jesus as he was traveling down to Jerusalem and going through villages and cities. They said to him, leave our area because Herod wants to kill you. And Jesus said to them, go and tell that fox 
Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I reach my goal. And it's interesting enough, uh, in, in the Greek, the word fox is in the feminine. So he basically says, go and tell that vixen, and possibly a reference to Herodias, the real power behind the throne. Um, Herodias ruled Herod at her pleasure. The same as, as in the Old Testament when Jezebel did with King Ahab. And his one commentator says, it never goes well when the hen crows. Um, she was the one who was deciding what happens and what not. And later on when Jesus was arrested, Pilate learning that Jesus was from Herod's jurisdiction, sent him to Herod who was in Jerusalem at the same time who had been seeking a meeting with, with Jesus. One would have hoped to hear again the words of God, but no, he just sought entertainment. He wanted Jesus to perform a miracle before him for his entertainment. And Luke 23, 9 tells us, And Herod questioned him at length, but Jesus answered him nothing. And so Herod allowed his soldiers to abuse Jesus, treat him with contempt, and then sent him back to Pilate. You see, Herod heard the word of God from the lips of John the Baptist, and he chose to silence it. He heard the voice of God through his own conscience, and he chose to sear his conscience. He heard the voice of God, but he hardened his heart. He feared what people would think of him more than what God thinks. And Jesus answered him, nothing. He did not respond to all the warnings God gave him. And therefore he has hardened his heart. And so people for us, let us not harden our hearts when the voice of God, when God's servants, Shouts, repent, return to the Lord. So even this morning, as you listen to this sermon, if God is speaking to you today, do not harden your heart. Heed His word. Obey His command. Do not harden your heart when the voice of conscience calls, repent. Do not seek to silence the messenger or kill the messenger. Repent. Don't seek to silence your conscience. Repent. Do not harden your heart through the deceitfulness of sin, as Hebrews 3.13 tells us. And a few verses later, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Herod hardened his heart, and what he feared came upon him just as the Scriptures warns us. In Proverbs 10, verse 24 says, What the wicked fears will come upon him. And Herod feared man. Herod feared being dishonored, disrespected, disgraced. And that is exactly what happened to him. Uh, he was exiled to Gaul, which is modern-day France, he and Herodias, and later on to Spain, where he died in obscurity. 
far as we know, separated from the grace of God, who held out his hand repeatedly to save this man. Herod feared everyone but God. And on the other hand, we read that John the Baptist feared no one but God. Uh, John feared no one but God. He preached, he was sent to preach a message of repentance, a call to righteousness, a call to believe in the Messiah. And he did not fear the people. We read in Luke 3 verse 7, so when he, uh, he began saying to the crowds who were going out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? I wonder what would happen if John were to live today. Probably being canceled by the end of the day. <clears throat> Therefore bear fruits in keeping of with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourself, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that these stones, from these stones God is able to raise up children of Abraham. Indeed, the axe is already laid at the root of the tree, so every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. John was not afraid of what people thought of him or would say about him or how they would respond to him. Nor was he afraid of the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Matthew 3, verse 7 says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them too, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath, of come, the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruit in keeping with repentance. You have to give it to John. He's consistent and he's relentless. Nor did he fear the ruler of the day, the government of the day. He did not fear Herod Antipas. He reprimanded both Herod and because, because of Herodias and all the other things, evil things he did. John refused to be silenced. He spoke for God. God gave him a message to deliver. He was a prophet of God. And though Herod had absolute power over John, able to cast him in prison, which he did, able to take his life, which he did, John showed amazing courage and boldness. I would say to you it was because he feared God more than he feared man. He feared displeasing the Lord. He feared being unfaithful to the task that God had given him. John was not silenced by the fear of man, and it cost him his freedom, and it cost him his life. John lived, really, the word of God that was spoken by Jesus later on in Luke chapter 12. I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that, have no more what they can do. But I warn you whom you to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. 
Herod feared seemingly everyone but God, but John the Baptist feared no one but God. Who do you fear? Who do I fear? We need to examine ourselves if we fear God more than man. We should examine whether we are silenced because of our fear of man or whether we are emboldened even in the face of opposition by our fear of God. And the scriptures exhort us to fear God and not man, nor circumstances. Psalm 27 tells us, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumble and fall. <clears throat> Though a host encamped against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. And people, if you are a Christian here today, then the Bible describes you as a disciple of Christ, as an ambassador for Christ, as salt and light for Christ. And to be a disciple of Christ requires you to deny yourself, to take up your yoke and follow Him. It requires us to be faithful to the commission He entrusted to us to go and make disciples. It means you actually have to proclaim the gospel. Have you been silenced out of fear of what people may think, what people may say, what people may do? People, we are sent by the one to whom all authority has been given. We are sent by the one who promises us that he will never leave us, nor forsake us. Being an ambassador of Christ requires us to know the fear of God. 2 Corinthians 5.10 tells us, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This is the judgment seat where we as believers are being evaluated to be rewarded or suffer lack of reward. This is, not a, this is not for condemnation, this judgment that is spoken of here in this verse. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of God, we persuade men but we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also to your consciences. Do you fear God enough to persuade men, to present Christ to them? It also requires as an ambassador that we need to be controlled by the love of Christ. Verse 14, we are to be motivated by the love that Christ has 
for us so that we would engage in the ministry of reconciliation that we've been entrusted to us. Where, we, where it says in 2 Corinthians 5 that we plead on behalf of God or on behalf of Christ to be reconciled with God. That is our task. That is our mission. That is our commandment from the Lord. Do we fear God more than we fear man? Are we silenced by what people will think, say, or do? It also means that we, as a, as a, as a Christian, that we need to be salt and light. That means to live, to be salt means to live righteously, to, to influence those around us like salt would preserve and salt would add flavor and salt would disinfect. So your righteous behavior has an influence on those around you. But we also know that those who want to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Would the fear of man keep you from being salt in your environment. It says that we need to be light. That means proclaiming God's righteousness, proclaiming the light of the truth of God, exposing man's darkness to his light. Ephesians 5 tells us, is 5 verse 7, Therefore do not be partakers with them, that is, with those in the world, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. We as children of light, for the fruit of light consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. To be light means to preach righteousness, goodness, the gospel. Knowing that when we do so, you will provoke those who love their evil deeds. Because they love their evil deeds, they hate the light and will not come to the light for fear that the, their deeds will be exposed. John 3.20. It also means that they may turn on you and persecute you. Remember the words of Jesus, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Have you been persecuted? Has someone said an off word to you because of Christ, because of the gospel, because of your life of righteousness, your words of truth? Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It is not unique if you have experienced opposition or persecution. 
And our faithfulness and our effectiveness as roles in disciple, ambassador, salt and light, I believe is directly related to our fear of God. And people in our culture and our society, there is no fear before, of God before their eyes, Romans 3.18 tells us. We live in a society that has been given over to the impure lust of their heart, to their degrading passions, to a depraved mind, really a sin-warped mind who can't think accurately or properly. A mind who's, those who celebrate wickedness and renounce holiness, those who declare good evil and evil good. And the fear of man is rife in our society. The cancel culture has a deathly grip on every person, people, politician, businessman. No one dare to challenge the moral insanity that has beset our society. Out of fear of what man will do. Will we speak? Will we stand for Christ? And I believe this fear has also infiltrated the broader church, where one church after the other falls silent because out of fear of being targeted and attacked. Will you stand for the Lord? Will you speak for Jesus? It's only when we have a healthy fear of God, only when we are like John the Baptist who fear no one but God, is what will move us and give us courage to stand, to speak. How can we overcome our fear of man? Because we all suffer from it. We all struggle with it. We don't want to be disliked. We don't want to be marginalized. We don't want to be spoken of as evil. So how do we cultivate a healthy fear of God? And people, fear is always overcome by faith. Believe the Word of God. Believe the God of the Word. And so if you're fearful, if you're anxious, the root of the problem is faith. Either you do not know God for who He is, or you don't believe and entrust yourself to the God who's described Himself to us. And so for us to, to grow and to cultivate a healthy Fear of God, really, we, we first of all need to deal with our own guilty consciences. For the, the skeletons in our closet, and we have them. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. Proverbs 28, 13. How blessed is the man who fears always. But he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. <clears throat> That's verse 14 of Proverbs 28. 
A guilty conscience will always bring a fear of judgment, the fear of condemnation, the fear of exposure, the fear of discovery. Confess it and forsake it, and you will be delivered from the fear of a guilty conscience. Pray for it. Psalm 86, 11 says, Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Study the scriptures. Proverbs 2, 1. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. If you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. Study the scriptures so that you may know God. Know His greatness. Psalm 33, verse 6, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth all the hosts, all the heavenly beings and the planets. And He gathers the waters and the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. Know that the Lord is true. Know that the Lord is powerful. So know God, know His greatness, know His holiness. Oh, how me, if we can only come to the Lord with our spiritual eyes open as Isaiah did and he saw the Lord hideth. Lifted up in heaven and the train of his robe coming down into the temple. And the angels crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And what did Isaiah do? Woe is me, for I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. When we see the holiness of, throughout Scripture, whenever God revealed himself, in His holiness, people were petrified because of His magnificence, because of the danger of it, because we are so unholy in comparison. We need to know the greatness of God, know His holiness, trust in His unsearchable wisdom knowing that He has declared the end from the beginning, knowing that His plans and His purposes are perfect and can be trusted, and even when we don't understand them, because His thoughts are not our thoughts and His ways are not our ways, declares the Lord. And as the heaven are higher than the earth, so is His ways higher than ours, and His thoughts than our thoughts. But we need to trust Him that what He has ordained in our life is wise. 
It is the best way to bring about His plans and purposes in our lives, but also through our lives. We may not even be the beneficiaries of what He allows in our life, but it's because we go through things, others are affected and brought into line with His plan and purposes. And to cultivate a, f a healthy fear of God is to know the depths of His love. Because He loved us, He gave Himself up for us. Because He loved us, His grace is upon us and He grants us forgiveness. Psalm 130, if Lord, if you should mark with iniquities, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared, that you may be revered, that we will be so afraid to sin because we don't want to displease such a gracious and kind and good God. And we know the depths of his love, when we come to realize that he will never leave us nor forsake us, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. No tribulation, no distress, no persecution, no famine, no nakedness, no peril, no sword. No accusation can be brought against us because we are justified in Christ. And so people, who do you fear? Herod feared man, feared everything but God. John feared no one but God. Let us overcome our fear of man with faith with drawing closer to God, with knowing Him. And then allow the fear of God to make us faithful disciples, faithful ambassadors, true salt and true light for Jesus Christ, our Savior. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word to us this morning. Lord, we have to confess that so often we are more like Herod than like John. We fear people. We fear so many things that would undermine or hurt us physically or our prospects, our possessions. And so we stay silent when you have given us a, such a great task to call sinners to repentance, sinners to faith in Jesus. Lord, forgive us for staying silent. Help us to know you. Help us to fear you. And may our desire to please you overcome all other obstacles so that we would be faithful to you. In Jesus' name.